Well, we're turning to the book of Samuel once again. We began this morning looking at David's investiture and uh, Judah's sovereignty over the nation of Israel as it was prophesied in the Old Testament. I want to continue on from that thought to uh, David's imperative and Jerusalem's sanctity, uh, that it should be sanctified unto the Lord and should be the central, uh, the centre of his government. So we're turning to 2 Samuel and to chapter 5, where we'll read again as we did this morning. 2 Samuel and chapter 5. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. And King David made a league with them, or cut a covenant with them, in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. David built round about from Millo and inward, and David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David, and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David an house. I'll leave the reading just there, and we'll turn now to Chronicles, to First Chronicles and chapter 11. First Chronicles in chapter 11. Then all Israel gathered themselves to David unto Hebron, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. And moreover, in time past, even when Saul was king, thou wast he that ledest out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord thy God said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore came all the elders of Israel to the king to Hebron. David made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David, said, David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David, 
David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. And David dwelt in the castle. Therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city round about, even from Milo round about. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. Jashabiam, a Hakmonite, the chief of the captains. He lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahahite, who was one of the three mighties. He was with David at Pas Damim, and there the Philistines were gathered together to battle, where there was a parcel of ground full of barley, and the people fled from before the Philistines. And they set themselves in the midst of that parcel and delivered it, and slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David unto the cave of Abdalam, and the hosts of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. Amen. We'll leave the reading uh, just there. So we want to commit our thoughts to the Lord. Let's bow our heads and ask his help. Now, Father, as we come to consider the scriptures this evening, we pray that thou wast draw nigh to us, Lord, that we might learn of thee and even the histories of these things, but, Lord, more what thou art able to do, what thou hast done, and what thou wilt do. And, Lord, we pray that we might be encouraged as the people of the Lord to look unto thee. Father, we know that there were times, even in David's life, uh, when the people were discouraged and wondered what was going on, and yet all things came to pass as thou hadst prophesied concerning him. And we thank thee that the nation turned to David and desired him. They even said unto him, We are thy flesh and thy bone. And, Lord, we thank thee that we too, being joined to Jesus Christ, our one body in Christ, uh, by that which every joint supplieth, we are the flesh and the bone, Jesus Christ himself being the head. And Father, we thank thee for that unity that we have with thee. We pray, Lord, that as thou dost press on with all of thy purposes, we might be found, as it were, in the army of the Lord, bearing the precious word of the Lord, that word, the sword of the mouth of the Lord. Lord, we pray that that word may cut through uh, the darkness which surrounds the minds and the thoughts and the hearts of the people in these days, that they might know the truth, that the truth would make them free. Now, Father, we commit ourselves to thee and this work to thee. We pray, Lord, that thou be pleased to bless it and to use us and to help us in these days. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. So I want to consider this uh, second part here, really. There's some th things which are uh, set together. Uh, first of all, we see that David was um, invested with the position as king over all Israel. And then we find that he uh, defeats the enemy uh, who are gathered together in Zion or in Jabus, as it is also termed here, and Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem wasn't uh, quite the Jerusalem that we look upon today, and we will come and consider that a little more uh, later on. But certainly we see here that the place called Zion was a fortress, 
And it was a place where the men thought that David could not come and that he would be excluded. So we will consider that also together. And we will see how the Lord Jesus Christ likewise takes the fortress and how the Lord uh, has set before us many of those things which are recorded in this portion of Scripture and how important it is that we take note of what is written here. All Scripture, remember, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And we need to profit from the Word by giving our hearts and our minds to it and considering it very carefully. So I want to think about this uh, imperative that David has, and that imperative is to take this place, this place called Zion. And as he looks upon it, he recognizes it as a place which needs to be taken. Uh, he is vexed, it seems, by it. I, I wonder uh, how much he knew concerning Zion, perhaps even from Samuel. Uh, the, this, this place, Jabus, the place of the Jebusites which inhabited Jerusalem. Remember, sometimes these names are uh, given to the places as the people would recognize them when the thing is being written. I will be mentioning Windsor a little bit later on. And uh, it was a place of uh, a windless, windlass on the bank, it, it's uh, reckoned in the Saxon tongue. And it's been shortened and uh, corrupted to Windsor in these days. And so in the time, it would have been known uh, in, that, in that way. But in our time, it's just simply known as Windsor. And so Zion, this, this fortress, would have been known by David as the fortress of Zion uh, or as Jabus because the Jebusites were there. And the Jebusites were Canaanites. They were of the line of Canaan. Remember, Canaan had been cursed by Noah uh, because of his sin, or because of his father's sin, indeed, uh, we won't go into that now. I'm always tempted to uh, give my thoughts on that, but we won't go into that just now. Uh, but nevertheless, there was a curse upon all of the Canaanites, and the children of Israel were to uh, to destroy them and to wipe them out from the land. So here we read of David seeking to go up to uh, to Zion, and we read these words then. In, his, uh, in verse 6 of 2 Samuel in chapter 5, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem uh, unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. Thinking, David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. Now in Joshua... In the book of Joshua, we read of the Jebusites, and there we read in Joshua 15 and verse 63, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. It is reckoned by some that the book of Joshua was either written or at least collated by Samuel. Uh, there would have been things written, no doubt, at the time, things which would have been drawn back together uh, later on, very much like the histories that are written in these days. Because nobody lived in the days when Windsor was first uh, set up, but nevertheless there are histories and there are things written uh, which can be looked up and compared. 
And it's thought that perhaps Samuel was the writer, although the book of Joshua doesn't actually tell us who wrote the book of Joshua. But if that was the case, then then Samuel would have known how that the Jebusites who were in Jerusalem had not been removed and could not be removed. The children of Judah could not drive them out. Now remember that David, of course, is of the tribe of Judah and God has blessed him. And God has set him now as the king of Israel. He is the king over Judah, and now he is the king over Israel. And perhaps the first thing which is upon his mind is this, this running sore of the fact that the Jebusites, these Canaanites, were still in the land. Uh, The Philistines he had had many battles with, of course. The Jebusites, there had been no particular battles with them. And yet here they were, these impertinent people in the midst of the land. And and right in the middle, really, in in this place, which perhaps was known as the place where uh, Abraham offered up Isaac in Mount Moriah. Uh, That seems to be the same place, and we can uh, trace that through the scriptures too. And so perhaps this was a a, a sacred place to the the, uh, Israelites, and David considering that the Jebusites held it, And even the place, the site of the temple, which we will also notice a little bit later on and show the verses for it, belonged to a Jebusite. And of course the temple wasn't built in the days uh, we're speaking of here. And David wasn't the builder of the temple anyway. It was going to be Solomon who would build that temple. So here is this place. It's a running sore. It's the vexation of David that the Jebusites were the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The, the, the men of Judah, the people of Judah, were down toward the south of Jerusalem. The rest of Israel was up towards the north. There were the Benjamites, of course, around Jerusalem as well. And they, the, these Jebusites just dwelt in the midst, and they dwelt in a fortress. Or as uh, First Chronicles has it, the castle. And David is vexed. And he goes up to the Jebusites. And we read there then in verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David in this insolent way, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. Thinking David cannot come in hither, because it was a fortress. And indeed, it seems that these words uh, which are uttered here, except thou take away the blind and the lame, uh, are really a a, a chiding of David, saying to David, we could hold this place with the blind and the lame. There is no way that you are coming in and you will not be able to defeat us. But David uh, is um, incensed at this. In fact, in verse 8, We read, and David said on that day, whosoever getteth up to the gutter uh, or the stream that runs in and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Uh, Perhaps those words were in italic, he shall be chief and captain, have been carried across by our translators from uh, first, uh, First Chronicles. But they are hated of David's soul. And, and so he is incensed against the Jebusites who hold this fortress of Zion. And he seeks to take the fortress of Zion and to defeat the Jebusites who were there. They were a running sore to him. Well, David then uh, seeks to fight against them and to overcome them. And he uses the terminology which they have used. Uh, they have said that they can hold it with the lame and the blind. 
And David, perhaps uh, recognizing this and uh, in his understanding, in his vision of who these people were, was thinking, you really are the lame and the blind. You're blind because you cannot see how that God has worked in this land. You are Canaanites, and yet Israel came into the land by the mighty hand of God and defeated those of Jericho and defeated the kings, even the king of Jerusalem, uh, Adonai uh, Bezek. And he, he defeated that king and the kings round about as well. And that the Israelites have come into the land and they have driven out the nations that were there before. And yet you are saying that we cannot come in. You are the lame and the blind. You're blind because you cannot see the power of God. You are lame because how can you fight against God? Now we're perhaps uh, expanding this and, and reading something into it. But I think that we can agree that these things are true nevertheless. That the Lord did indeed bring the children of Israel into the promised land. He brought them across the river on dry land. He marched them around Jericho and the walls fell. They fought against this one and that and everyone that they fought against was defeated. Even Ai, although they had the problem of course with Achan, but nevertheless Ai eventually fell. And the children of Israel up until this time still in the land, still undefeated, although they had had many fights and many battles against the Philistines, uh, that now was the time and they thought that they could hold out. There's a mighty thing to remember that the world also thinks that it can stand against God. The world says that uh, God shall not come in here. We will not have this man to rule over us. We will not allow him in. And yet the Lord took this land in which we live in past times and the Reformation came and there were revivals and there were thousands brought into the kingdom and the land was built upon uh, Christianity and upon the word of God. And we thank God for the liberties that we still enjoy. We look at the rest of the world where the gospel did not go, but the gospel came to the west rather than to the east. And we see the, the horrors and the terrors and the, the poverties and the, uh, and the awful things which have happened in other parts of the world. But God has been with us. He has already taken uh, all of the land. And yet there holds out still a hardened heart of man who says you will not come in hither. We don't believe. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in the Bible. We don't believe in the gospel that you preach. And you cannot come in. But they're wrong. The world is wrong. God is able to save to the uttermost all that come to him through Jesus Christ. God is able to touch the hearts of the hardest. Think of Saul. Saul went around to destroy the church. Saul decided that that the Christianity was wrong and that they needed to be hailed into prison and put to death. And the Lord saved him. And over and over again, God has done a mighty work, a work which is a, a wonder to us. The Lord Jesus says to us in these days, these things I have I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So this place then is a vexation to David. But he has a vision, and his vision is that the Lord will take it, that the Lord will defeat them, that the Lord will uh, deliver Zion into his hand. And indeed they go up and they fight, and we find in First Chronicles that it is Joab, this man who has been a thorn in David's side, even though he was on David's side. Uh, the man who took Abner 
and, and uh, in such a ignominious way too and, and in the very gate of the city uh, taking him with a, the sleight of hand and with a, with a knife uh, under the fifth rib as the Bible sets it and puts it very sad nevertheless a man used of God in lots of ways and it is Joab that we read of in First Chronicles 11 who goes up and it is he who takes this stronghold and he becomes the chief captain now in these words there are also this which is said wherefore they said the blind and the lame shall not come into the house and again perhaps these words were said because the people remembered something from the law of moses and i want to just go there for a moment because these are hard words and there are hard words in the law of moses and there are things which the atheists and the agnostics and the uh, enemies of the gospel would pick out and they would say, well, God was very hard and very harsh. And, uh, and why was he so hard against people? So if we turn to Leviticus in chapter 21, just for a moment. Now, Leviticus is a book which is not often read, I have to uh, say. And I don't know whether you've read Leviticus or not. Very often we're put off just by the first five chapters, as it seems very repetitious. And all the sacrifices, uh, it all says it's pretty much the same thing. And many people give up by the time they get to chapter six and think, well, I've read all that already. It's going to be all the same all the way through. It isn't. Uh, and some of it is very hard to understand. But nevertheless, if you turn there to Leviticus 21 and to verse uh, 16 there we read and the lord spake unto moses saying speak unto aaron saying whosoever he be of the seed in of thy seed in the generations that hath any blemish let him not approach to offer the bread of his god for whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish he shall not approach a blind man or a lame note those words uh, this is, these are the words which already have been used by the Jebusites, the, the, except you take away the blind and the lame. And the Lord makes a mention of the blind and the lame. And then he says, he that hath a flat nose. Well, we won't go into interpretations of what those words mean. Uh, but he that hath a flat nose or anything superfluous or a man that is broken footed or broken handed or crook backed or a dwarf or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scabbed, or hath his stones broken. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron the priest shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish, he shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy, only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And Moses told it unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel. Now, these seem to be hard words, and especially in this day and age where uh, some of those things, we would just consider them to be uh, problems which people have. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, dealt with a woman, didn't he, who was bowed down for 18 years, and uh, she was bowed over toward the ground for all of that time. She was crookbacked, uh, to use the old uh, authorised version term, uh, and the Lord healed her. And of course, the Lord is able to heal. But there is a spiritual meaning, of course. 
And the spiritual meaning to all of the laws which are set before us concerning the sacrifices. And remember that the sacrifices are that part of the law which God gave out of his mercy and out of his grace. God could have just given the law saying thou shalt not this and thou shalt not that. And if you do these things you will surely die. But he didn't just do that. There was a gospel of sorts. And the gospel of salt pointed toward the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of salt was the gospel uh, or the good news that there were sacrifices uh, which would be acceptable to God for some of the sins of the people. Everybody sins and uh, the people are to recognize that. But nevertheless, if they come and they bring their sacrifices, God would accept that. And those things pointed forward to Christ. As the writer to the Hebrews says, uh, the blood of bulls and of goats cannot take away sins. But Jesus Christ takes away sins. But it was all pointing toward the grace of God, the mercy of God, that God said, even though you do these things, I will still accept you on the shedding of the blood of the sacrifice. And we will feast, as it were, together Because most of the sacrifices, apart from the whole burnt offering, they were a meal also for the people who brought the sacrifice. They sacrificed a part of it, and the rest of it was for the family uh, and or for the priests. And so uh, those things were given. But here was uh, the grace of God in the sacrificial system. But the point, of course, of those who had the blemish, which weren't allowed to offer the sacrifice... First of all was because they were priests, they were representative of Christ and Christ was without blemish and without spot. Because they were representative of Christ, they could not have blemish or spot. God wasn't particularly picking on them because somebody had been born with dwarfism or somebody had an injury to his hand or to his foot uh, and was lame. It wasn't God picking on them. God was saying that the great high priest... The great high priest, he who is to come, the Messiah, the anointed of God, will be without blemish. He will be perfect. And he will make that sacrifice and he will give that offering. And he himself indeed will be the offering also. Jesus Christ is both high priest and the sacrificial lamb. All of these things point to him. And so we find then that these were not allowed to partake. But what is God saying? God is, is saying that there is none who shall enter into me in before me who are with blemish. And that is the point, isn't it, of the gospel. The point is that we are all with blemish. Who shall stand before God? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place? There is none righteous, no, not one. Who can come? Who can offer before the Lord? And the point here, of course, is that David takes the city and they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And perhaps they are remembering these laws of Moses and saying, no, the blind and the lame. God made something against the blind and the lame. Therefore, we will encourage ourselves that the Lord will give us victory over the blind and the lame. They themselves have confessed That they are the blind and the lame. David says they are the blind and the lame. Whom my soul hateth. Go and let us fight against them. And it says 
that he went up and he smote the Jebusites. And David, verse 7, took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. And David dwelt in the fort, in the stronghold, verse 9. It is the, and called it the city of David. David built round about from Milo and inward. The word inward is a strange word in its translation here. It really means the household. Uh, so uh, from, uh, from Milo and to the household or to the house. Uh, different interpretations that the various uh, in, uh, uh, commentators have given to the house. Whether it be David's house. Quite possible it was David's house because in verse 11 it's actually mentioned, isn't it? Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons and they built David a house. Maybe that was the culmination of the building at that time. So he built from a stronghold and he built up towards his own house that the Lord would build for him. Now, I said before that we'd make some mention of... um, of the of Windsor and that's quite important as David is building here because he gains this great victory over uh, the uh, Jebusites and he begins then to build this construction and the construction was uh, on the fort now, I did actually um, do a slide here which I'll put up um, this is concerning uh, Windsor, so uh, I don't suppose we can actually read that apart from the bit at the bottom. Uh, but it tells us there at, at the, the bottom of the households of Windsor. And what it says it was there were 22 villages. This is Windsor, just up the road. 22 villages, two small, small holders, one slave, one priest. Uh, plough land, one lord's plough teams, ten men's plough teams. Other resources, meadow of 40 acres, woodland, 50 swine render, one fishery, and 1.5 church lands, the valuation, annual value to the lord, 15 pounds in 1086. Seven pounds when acquired by the 1086 owner, 15 pounds in 1066. Tenant in chief in 1086, King William. Lords in 1086, Aylfric, servants to Albert of Lorraine, Walter, son of other, King William, King uh, Gilbert, Mamino, William Bellet, Alfric, Udo the steward, and Lord in 1066 was King Edward. So uh, these things are recorded. But here we can see 22 villages. It was, uh, it was very small. There were 26. Um, so I read somewhere else, 26 households in Windsor. And so just that amount of time ago, this is uh, just really not much more than a 1,000 years ago, uh, there was, it was a tiny little place. And it just gives us a, a kind of an idea of what we're looking at here. It's called the City of David. And when we think of a city, we're thinking of the city of New York or Paris or or London, uh, or Manchester, or Birmingham, these, these great sprawling places which we call cities. But the city of David was not much more than a stronghold, perhaps a bit like the English Mott and Bailey. And so uh, there is the stronghold itself, and then there's a little village which grows up around it. And David was able to take it, and he begins to build from there. And as he begins to build from there, uh, he builds not even... The temple, the temple was not made at that time. Uh, there was no temple 
and even the place where the temple would go had not yet been uh, had not been purchased or had not been well had not been purchased. Uh, later on, we find that. Uh, David numbers the people. We will come to that if we continue in Second Samuel, where David numbers the people and he offers a sacrifice on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And it was there that the temple was built. And we'll uh, no doubt come and, and consider that at some point. But 2 Samuel 24, 18, if you're interested in the reference, and it's in First Chronicles as well, but 2 Samuel 24, verse 18, it says, And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. And that, that was where the temple is. That's where the temple uh, was in the days of, of Jesus, set there upon that hill. So it wasn't built. The house, the place where the house was built, was still a threshing floor. It was where Arona would take his wheat and where he would cast it into the air, where the chaff was separated from the wheat. Oh, very, very significant. Remember how it speaks about Jesus coming with his fan in his hand. And the fan is that threshing instrument, is what you toss up the grain with and the chaff is blown away with the wind. And the temple was upon a threshing floor. And out of out of Israel, out of Zion, out of Jerusalem goes forth the law out of the power of, and the power of God. All of these things are significant, far too much to put into a, into, a, into a sermon. And in fact, too complex really to put into a sermon. It would be useful to have all those things spread out and then make the connections. Uh, and that would be more useful perhaps. So David is to build this city. And when we consider all of these things and consider them in application to the Lord Jesus Christ, how the Christ takes the city, how the Christ builds the city, how the Christ is the victor over all of his enemies and those who David speaks of here, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. We're reading Galatians 5 and we read this earlier together. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not come into the house. That's the picture there from Leviticus. That's the picture which David has in his mind as he, is, as he is fighting against these. And that is the reality of Jesus Christ. That he comes and he will defeat the wicked. He will overthrow the wicked. And those who are his will enter in. And David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. And Zion, often in the Old Testament, ever after, is the place where God's seat is. Where the power of God flows from it often speaks of a spiritual nation rather than the physical one uh, jerusalem being the physical one zion being the spiritual uh, counterpart to it. it the psalms interestingly enough uh, 37 times the the word zion is used in the psalms we could have read all of those verses but again not really uh, uh, the right thing to do in a sermon but uh, 37 times in the Psalms and Sion, S-I-O-N, one time in the Psalms, 38 in all. Isaiah and his prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus, 47 times he uses the name Zion to speak about the power of God, the victory of God. 
Jeremiah 14 times and in Lamentations 15 times. So this, this, and this is the first time it's mentioned in the scripture. This is the time when David actually takes Zion. And Zion becomes central. And it becomes the dwelling place of God. Beautiful for situation in the sides of the north. Here is the place where God is pleased to dwell. Where God is pleased to put his name. It has so much significance to us in these days because God is building a spiritual kingdom. He is building a spiritual people, the nation, a spiritual nation. We are a nation in Jesus Christ. And one day we shall see him and all will be completed. Again in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, for they may, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are yet blind or lame, you are yet fighting against Christ. You need the salvation of our God. For to, fight, to find yourself on the wrong side of the victory which is in Christ Jesus is eternal destruction. These things are just physical. No doubt, as in other times, the Jebusites who were there in that fortification, some of them lived. We read, as we have said already, of Arona the Jebusite, whose whose threshing floor was there on Mount Moriah. And he lived. The Jebusites were not wiped out to a man. But the place was taken. And we, we need to recognize that the Lord will win the battle. He will overcome. So the city is taken. We look forward to that great day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall descend from heaven and will build the house here of course we see that he built round about from Milo and inward and again in um, uh, in first chronicles and he built the city round about even from Milo round about and Joab repaired the rest of the city so together they worked there in the city of Zion this fault of Zion when we think of the work of God then we know that the Lord has said to Peter thou art Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and Peter makes mention also ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ we are the house which the Lord builds. He has conquered our souls, brother and sister in Christ. He has overcome us. And we are the fortress in which he dwells. We are the walls of Zion. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone 
in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We are the house. We were once the stronghold against him. We were once the lame and the blind. But praise God, in the spiritual sense, our defeat was not one of destruction. Although it was, in some senses, for we met before him in judgment. We came and we confessed that we were the lame and the blind. And instead of taking our lives, Jesus Christ offered his own. And he took that punishment for us. But if that day of judgment arises at the end of time, and you are called before the bar of God, it will not be Christ who takes that punishment, but you yourself. And you will not enter into the house, for without our dogs, without our sorcerers and whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. May the Lord bless these thoughts and apply them to us. It requires the Spirit of God to apply them properly.